Welcome to the True and Constant podcast presented by Gamma Phi Beta Sorority. In this special series honoring our 150th anniversary, incredible alumni of our sisterhood join us each month to celebrate their stories, experiences, and pearls of wisdom in Gamma Phi Beta and beyond. We are your hosts, Emma Remus and Lex Stewart. Today, we are joined by Gamma Phi Beta Sister from the University of Georgia, Delta Upsilon Chapter, Shelly Johannes. Shelly is an accomplished children's author who's penned works such as Shine Like a Unicorn, the Love Science series with Vivi, Libby, and Cece, and Florence Nightingale of the She Persisted series. Please join us in welcoming Shelly. Shelly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is such a full circle moment. (laughs) Well, tell us more about that. Why is this a full circle moment for you? Uh, Just um, I I just was at UGA this week, um, kind of touring UGA with my son. And so the fact that this was kind of happening in the same week, just with the Gamma Phi Beta connection, and I had just gone by the house this week, it just kind of felt like, I don't know, it just felt like a like it was just in the stars. It was supposed to happen. It just all kind of happened in the same week, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. In the crescent moon, maybe? The I think crescent moon. <laughs> it's out tonight. So oh. let's dive in. Now, you've written at least 18 books for young people, which is just an incredible achievement. And I'm sure you've had a lot of life experiences that led up to that moment of your first book being published. Can you tell us a little bit about your early background? Like, where are you from? What was life like What before you got to become a Gamma Phi Beta? Yeah, I mean, I grew, I, I pretty much grew up here in Atlanta, in Marietta, Georgia. Um, I bounced around a little bit when I was younger. Uh, my dad worked as an aerospace engineer, so we were always kind of moving around. But I landed here in middle school, maybe early high school, and had been here ever since. So um, I actually didn't get into UGA the first time I applied. So I stayed here at Kennesaw. At that time, was a community college for a year, and then I transferred into UGA um, at that time. So, wow. So interesting. So when you got to UGA, what prompted you to join a sorority? Um, I think a lot of people from my high school, which is Walton high school had joined sororities there. So I knew a lot of people in different sororities. Um, and I had never, I'll be honest, I had never heard of Gamma Phi Beta. And as I had gone through the rush, I really connected with a lot of girls there and, um, I think my final I was in um, was AOPI and Gamma Phi Beta and Delta Gamma at that um, DG at UGA. And at first, so AOPI didn't give me a bid and Gamma Phi Beta and DG did. And one of my best friends or several of my best friends from Walton High School were in AOPI. And so I was, I was thinking, oh, I'll go with my friends. And then when that didn't happen, I was like, is Gamma Phi Beta going to be the right place for me? And my mom said, you should, you should go. You loved them. Like, just go see what it's like. Because, you know, when you first get the bid and you're kind of thinking, oh, all the people I know are over here. I knew no one in Gamma Phi Beta Um, from our Mm -hmm. high school had very specific um, Tridelt, you know, Kappa mm-hmm. Gamma. So there was very specific sororities. And I went to Gamma Phi Beta and I actually am still friends with my two sisters, um, Elizabeth uh, Morrow. So Beth Morrow and Catherine Casdia, who, oh. who uh, well, it's Catherine Allison, but she ended up marrying one of my best friends from high school. So they are my best friends. And it was just like perfect from there on out. I met them on, um, you know, Pledge Day. So Oh my gosh, that is so cool. We've been been friends now for, um, gosh, 
forever. I'm not even going to put it out. I'm not even going to put it out. So you know how old I am, but long time, long time. Long time. That's beautiful. That's really like a testament to like the bonds that we, in particular in college, but like in particular, like at, at Gamma Phi in, in sorority life, those bonds are, uh, they, they go a long way. But I think it, I wanted to point that out just because I think some people you know, have this idea they go through, they know where they belong and mm. they know people there. And even though they love certain ones and they connect with people, they tend to go with what's comfortable. Mm. And I think if I had, even though I loved Gamma Phi Beta, I might have gravitated towards that because I knew so many people from my high school. But this gave me a chance to meet new people, make new friends. I still had them as friends and it just ended up the perfect place for me. So it was my home away from home. I think that happens to more girls than not. Like, I think you hear the mm -hmm. stories where their, you know, um, their whole family has been there and or they go where everyone from their school has gone. And I don't think you hear the stories where you didn't end up where you thought you were going, but where you ended up was the best place for you and was where you were supposed to be. And that yeah, is really what I feel like with Gamma Phi Beta, that that's where I was supposed to be. And the fact that I have my friends still, you know, decades later from there, from my pledge class um, is it a testament to that, I think. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. So you mentioned, I think I, I saw this on your website that your background is in the world of of marketing. Yes. Um, so talk to us about you went from marketing, you're we're talking to you here as a, a children's and young adults author. How did that happen between like, you know, I'm thinking of you in, in college to you, Shelly, now? <laughs> How did that transition happen? Well, first, let me say that at UGA, I did not know what I was going to major in. I bounced around. I think at one point, my dad said, estate planning makes a lot of money. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I, went in, I ended up like graduating with a BA in like estate planning and risk management, which is so funny to me because it's so not me. But that so whenever people hear that they're like what that's so, like risk management like how did you get into that i'm like i have no idea my dad told me to go there and i did so um i got wow. out and worked in annuities for um american general for a year and was like this is not for me so i ended up going back to get my um uh, mba and ended up at Auburn University for my MBA oh. um, because they had a shorter program for the MBA. So I got my master's in marketing from Auburn University. That's fascinating. So, I mean, I think that that speaks to a lot of young, you're so young when you're in college, right? Like you don't even know what you don't know. Um, and so I can absolutely see where that was headed. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a big leap. Was there a moment in your career when you just realized this is not a good fit for me? I need to change. What was that like? How did you know that that was happening? Well, I loved market. I still do marketing today. So I'm a freelance copywriter. Oh, nice. Um, so mark in marketing, I write. Like that's what I do is I tell stories and I try to get people to buy into those stories and engage them and get them excited about whatever. So I think the principles of marketing and what I do from a copywriting perspective really is I really do tell stories. Um, but I did the corporate route. So I was a consultant with Anderson or Accenture now. Um, for a very long time. And then I went into uh, a bank and was an SVP in marketing um, and associate communications at the bank. And I just kept getting pushed up the ladder. And mm. I was one of the youngest um, SVPs at, at this bank and especially as a woman. So it was very, um, you know, heavily male. And I think they were really looking for diversity. And I, I felt like I was just being pushed up the ladder. And the further I got up the ladder, 
obviously the more money I made, but the less writing I was doing. And I started to kind of realize I'm going to be doing spreadsheets for the rest of my life and budgets Mm. if I don't get out. Um, And luckily my husband was just very supportive and had kind of gotten a better job at the time and was like, look, just, just leave. And I was like, I can't leave this six figure job. That's crazy. There's just no way I cannot do that. He was very supportive and was just like, you can, you can make this work. So I actually contracted back with Accenture. Okay. And started writing for their communications department as a freelancer. And it like, they were like, we, we need a freelancer. If you want, you can come here. And so I went back to Bank of America and was like, I, I have to I have to go. <laughs> so I gave them like a month notice and started freelancing. Um, gosh, about 15 years ago. Wow. When I'm listening to you talk, I, one of my big takeaways is when you're making such a big change is go after what you love, follow your dream, but also like do it in a way where you have a plan and you have some security built in for yourself um, yeah. so that you can have that sort of sense of independence. What advice would you give to people listening who may want to start a career change? Uh, do you have any other feedback about how to go about that process? I mean, I just tried to, first of all, I always kept in touch with people I worked with before. Um, you know, I'm a big proponent of just connections and So I'm really good at keeping in touch with people. So I think keeping in touch with people that you have relationships with, even if they end in certain ways, whether it's Gamma Phi Beta, whether it's Mm. a business, um, you just never know how you can help them or how they can help you. Mm. So I think that's one thing. I think um, just being authentic and not being afraid to kind of follow what you want as opposed to what you feel like you should do. Um, Kind of the could versus the should maybe. (laughs) You know, I probably should have stayed the big six figure job and made more money and and moved up the ladder like should in a perfect world. Um, but it was a risk to kind of take a step back. Once you kind of realize where you're not supposed to be mm-hmm. yep. and, and you kind of see, I feel like I should be there. Like it starts to feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> you yes, know what I'm saying? Yeah. It doesn't feel good anymore. It feels like you're in someone else's skin almost. And, and yes. you're going through the motions And so I think I kind of started to realize I probably should be over there. Um, So how do I get there? Um, Because I I just can't be here anymore. It just gets too, I don't know. I couldn't breathe. I feel like I couldn't breathe. So I think not being afraid to take risks, but also, you know, being smart in the way of planning to move there. So it took me about six months to kind of make that jump. And the, the company was great. I mean, I had had two babies with the company. They had given me maternity leave. And to kind of get into writing, that's when I started writing again, was on maternity leave. So because I had was was so far up in the bank, I had six months of maternity leave. Mm. Um, And they were like, do not work. We do not want to see you online. That's great maternity leave. (laughs) And and for the support, right? And, um, Mm. And I was anxious because I was so used to working all the time and had a great setup. I was working from home. So I, you know, was still at home wanting to work and they were like, take the time off. And we had gone on a trip. My husband is from Wales and we had gone on a trip uh, to Wales with my young daughter at the time to see his family. And there was a store there called the broken wing fairy. And I just got this idea, um, about, and this book will never see the light of day, (laughs) but I got this idea to write this middle grade book about a broken wing fairy, a fairy who couldn't fly, who had kind of, who was going on an adventure. And I just sat down and started writing it. 
And I always say my daughter sat on something inside of me because it Mm. just, um, it just felt like I, and I always wrote when I was in high school and college, like I always wrote on the side poems, you know, I won contests, but I never thought it could be something I did full time, I guess. Um, But I think at that moment, it wasn't that I didn't always love to write. It was that I had the space to write, like the spiritual space, like the mental space, because I took a step back and took a breath and was like, so that is kind of what led me to wait, this is what I want to do. I mean, how am I going to be able to do this if I go back to work? So I went back after six months, I went back select time. So like, again, they were very supportive and those extra, as I went back 30 hours a week and those extra 10 hours a week, I was writing. Um, I wasn't selling anything. I just was writing for me, but I kind of got bit by the bug at that point mm-hmm. and kind of <laughs> realized, all right, this is my passion. How am I going to do this uh, more? Like how many, you know? And so that was kind of what led me towards leaving the bank. I mean, what I'm hearing from your story is, and I, I resonate with this a lot. I ironically also come from a marketing background. That was a, a sort of thing that I got because my parents sort of convinced me it would be yeah. safe and comfortable. <laughs> I love marketing and I'm very glad that I chose that route, but it, it was very much that thing of like, my parents were sort of guiding me in a way yep. that felt like safe and structured and mm-hmm. they know that I would be okay. And as you become an adult, you sort of unravel a lot of those like shoulds that were given to you by other mm-hmm. people that maybe weren't yours to hold to begin with. Um, so I love that you were, you're given this moment of clarity, right? Like you're that six months with your, your daughter of maternity leave and sort of like, whoa, is this really where I want to be? So how did you step into like writing as like calling yourself an author, like moving from, from corporate Shelley to author Shelley? I, I still have a hard time calling myself an author. Like when you guys were saying, oh my gosh, you're so accomplished. I was thinking, am I? it's just Absolutely. that imposter syndrome you know you just get in that mm-hmm. imposter place oh um it, it I, goes around <laughs> imposter yeah. syndrome yeah exactly and I still have it um I think I just started stu- you know studying which is just my go-to like learning learning craft focusing on the industry learning about the business learning mm. about marketing like that was always you know that helps me a lot in writing. Um, so trying to figure out all those facets of myself that I could pull into that, that publishing world. Um, it's a tough world because in corporate America, these are the checklist items you need to get in order to go to this level and to get this title and get this raise. And then these are the checklists you get to get. And, And so I just was climbing up the ladder over there easily, just, Oh, this is great. You know, um, you move over to publishing and it's a very difficult business. So it's hard to reconcile sometimes the business side of writing with the creative side of writing. And I I'm getting to the point now where I'm trying to separate those two. I'm trying to, because you just get so caught up in what is, you, you probably understand this Lex, what, what is sellable, mm-hmm. what is going to make it, what, what are people looking for? Like, and that, that is my natural brain. And so you can get off track from writing kind of what your heart wants to write because you're trying to sell and it's yep. a business. And that's what I grew up in was a business. And so, Hey, I can do this. I can sell, you know, and it doesn't work that way. So um, I had to kind of get to a point where I was like, this is my creative space. And then this is my business space. Um, because when, when it gets all mucked together, you just lose your love of writing. It becomes, you know, there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of tape bureaucracy. I mean, it's, it's a business. Um, so 
I think find, staying with the love of writing, whether I sell or not, is um, I think what keeps me writing. There's a, there's a book by Elizabeth Gilbert called Big Magic. Big Magic. It's sitting over here. Hey, I love it. It's one of my favorite books of all time. So it, it. it is, it really is what changed my mindset. And it was about do not ex like, you know, creativity is this little being like you just have to like nurture and like love and just support and you can't put pressure on it and demand it to give you money and demand it to write when you want it to write. You almost have to treat it like a child. And so that was why I continue to do copywriting because that's where I get my money. That's where I feel accomplished. And I'm not saying I don't feel accomplished as an author, but I don't want that pressure on my writing because then you just get that angst feeling. You're like, I should be writing. I should be writing more. Mm -hmm. I should be writing faster. I should be writing something different. And you kind of get into those shoulds, which just kills your creativity. Yeah, absolutely. What I, I feel like when I hear you saying that, you know, it's kind of looking at your why. And I have this theory that any any pursuit that you're doing, anything that you're looking into, be it a writing career or whatever your interest is, is kind of like looking at the why, but then looking at the second degree of why. So why do I want that why? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where you can really clarify, okay, like the sort of ego versus the actual fulfillment. That's and I think point. it's important to like go back to that fulfillment in the midst of, you're right, it's so difficult. And on that note, I did want to circle back to something you said about rejection, because I can imagine that happens a lot. I mean, that happens across the board, but yep. in the creative fields, even more disproportionately so. What advice would you give to people who are battling with some rejection in their pursuits? I think you can't be afraid of rejection. <laughs> I mean, it's the, this creative, the creative industries, all of them, uh, it could be art, it could be acting, mm -hmm. whatever, are very subjective. So I think that you have to kind of reconcile that it is subjective and that rejection is from that person. It's not a rejection of you. It's not a rejection of, it's not a, it's not a, like, it doesn't qualify your worth as a writer. Um, it's just a matter. That's easy for me to say, cause I do have a business hat. So I'm, I'm just like, that's the business, right? Like this book didn't make it not because it's not good enough. I know it's good enough, but because it wasn't the right time, hmm. it wasn't the right publisher. It wasn't the right editor. It wasn't, it just wasn't in the stars. Like, you know, I, I do feel like in this artistic environment, there's a, a serendipitous quality mm. that you just can't control. And I think that's hard for me as a business person, because like I said, I, I know the steps. If you give me this, if you give me the steps, I will do it and I will be a bestseller. But those steps are like constantly moving. So I think you just have to believe in your heart and kind of what you're writing and know that it's just it's subjective and the more you write from your heart, the better chance you have. I think the more you try to finagle mm. and make these creative, I guess, careers into, you know, a, a very specific path. I never thought I would be in picture books. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I wrote thrillers. Like my first books were, you know, young wow. adult thrillers, not picture books. So, you know, I kind of had to open up to the idea of, maybe there's a different path for me. 
Oh my gosh. So there's transitions there even. Transition, all transitions. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. I, I have a question for you. I, I want to circle back to something you just said, which was, I know it's good enough. And the reasons why it, it isn't being published are maybe subjective. Um, that piece about, I know it's good enough felt to me like the core component of the whole, like how you were able to, to have this like steady foundation and what can sometimes feel like a sort of rocky, turbulent, uh, experience in the world of business. How do you know that it's good? I'm still learning craft. I still take classes. I still read. I still, um, get critique partners. I, I think a lot of people, not just because I'm published, every book is one time I get published. Like it's, it's never, you're never guaranteed the next book. Um, I've had so many books since I've been published get rejected that are, I have a graveyard of books that I know are good. It just wasn't for whatever reason, it either, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right person. It wasn't the right moment. It, it, it just wasn't the right, I, I guess, energy. I don't, whatever you want to put behind it. So I think I know I learn craft. I know I'm a good writer. Um, I know that my stories are good. I have critique partners. I have an agent. It's just sometimes they don't make it, but it took me a long, it's taken me a long time to get there a long time. So I've been writing now for almost 20 years. So, um, as far as like when my daughter was born, so my daughter, my daughter will be 20 in January. So, oh. Oh, it's just, she literally gets to mark the passage of your, <laughs> your writing career of my, of when I started into creative writing and really was like, okay, this is where I'm going. Wow. Uh, however long it takes me to get there, you know, baby steps, but I'm, I'm going one foot in front of the other. Yeah, I'll say. So I did want to follow up a little bit then on your, on your content. So you started with teen thrillers, transition more towards picture books, which I'm thinking might be a little bit more oriented to younger, younger audiences. Um, I, I'm curious why that change took place and what the common thread is. Like, is there a common theme or what are the common themes that you still see from both those genres to the ones you're working on now? I, mean, I still love thrillers. I would like to get back there. Oh, like, yes. I kind of, <laughs> my goal is to dominate all genres of children. And so I couldn't I love start it. at the top. So I decided to start like, um, so my first books were teen thrillers and adventure. Um, I didn't, those did not get published. I actually ended up self-publishing those. I had an agent, oh. we, we could not sell them. And I, I ended up self-publishing those books and they sold probably 300,000 eBooks. I mean, it was crazy. Like, and it was right at the wow. time where publishing was starting like 2010. Okay. Uh, because I knew they were good enough and I needed to put them out for me. I really had no, mm. and I thought it was fun. Like, I'm, I'm marketing. I can come up with jacket copy. I can get a photographer to do yes. it. Like it was a challenge. It was something new for me. And so I decided to try that. So I had my first agent. We couldn't sell those. I parted ways with my first agent. I self-published and it was right at a time where I was able to kind of, um, stand out. Mm. Um, so well, what an awesome success story and following your gut and knowing what you have to offer. And, and I'm so proud of those books, even still, you know, I don't look back and go, Ooh, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> but I'm really proud of them. They were, they're professional. I just recovered them. I still am. I still love to self-publish. So that was kind of a great way for me to put my marketing and business into something that had failed. 
Mm. I'll be honest. So they, they had failed. They got so close, but didn't quite get over the top. It was devastating. So I kind of quit writing for a while and self-published. Um, I went to a conference and met my second agent who at that time was a digital manager for an agency and had heard of my books. Um, so she, when she started agenting, she emailed me out of the blue and said, I remembered meeting you. Um, I loved the pitch that you gave me. Are you still working on that story? I'm looking for clients. I'm a new agent. We really hit it off. And I was like, great. Um, that book didn't make it. Mm. Um, so I self-published that book and she was, she was like, great. So, you know, if it doesn't make it self-publish it. So I self-published that book too. And then there was one day where, um, later on, so I would say I probably wrote 10 years and went through that process before I was ever traditionally published. So it was 10 wow. years of rejection, self, you know, self-publishing, trying to sell, get agents. I'm on my second agent. My daughter is now about eight, loves science. Um, my husband has a PhD in topography. I love science. I met my husband at the zoo doing conservation work. So we're a very science family. Ah, <laughs> this was the first year that she, when I said, are you excited about going to science camp? And she said, not really. And I said, why? And she said, science is for boys. Oh, wow. So, oh, I said, why do you think that? And she was like, I don't know, just when I'm in science club, when I'm after school, this was maybe like nine or 10, right when they start getting into the age where science is a subject. It's not that fun thing that you do outside anymore. It's mm. now you're being graded on it. And so I immediately just got this idea of um, like the CC love science, which was like a little girl who loves science. And in my head, this character said, science is not for boys, like in such a disgusted way, like she was just, and I thought, <laughs> gosh, what if I do, my daughter was reading Fancy Nancy at the time. I was like, what if I do a science for Fancy Nancy um, mm. and focus on a girl loving science as opposed to vocabulary and being fancy. And that was kind of how it started. So, I mean, my best friend is Kim and she's my co-author. She also writes thrillers. And so I kind of called her, she's a biology major. And I said, Hey, I got this idea. And she was like, Oh, do you want to write it together? I was like, yeah, sure. Cause I don't know how to write picture books. So we studied <laughs> for like three or four months on picture books. How do we write it? Studied craft, took classes, read books. Um, and uh, then we went to our agents and said, Hey, we want to write a picture book. And they're like, but you're scary, dark thriller authors. We're like, yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> And they're like, but your books are dark and kill and murder. And we're like, yeah, I know we want to write. And so we wrote it and it sold to HarperCollins. Um, and it's now a nine book series. Wow. Um, so there's another one coming out this year. So that was kind of, it was really something my daughter said that just made me realize, wait, I'm writing these like scary thrillers. And I have a daughter who somehow in this world of, our family, which is science. So my husband loves science. I love science. We go to the zoo. She loves science. Some voice somewhere, because it's not our teachers. It's not me. It's not my parents. It's somehow a message like permeated through her pores enough to change her mind. This scared me. I mean, I it really scared me as a mom that changed her mind mm -hmm. on almost who she was going to be. Mm -hmm. Like, where did that come from? I got to get these kids young. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I need to, this is where I need to make a difference. I need to catch these girls when they're five, six and be like, you know, science, this is exciting. So it just was kind of a calling for me. Like, I think that 
that that was just a, a, that was really a turning point for me in my writing was realizing what an impact I could have on young kids. Um, and I go to school visits all the time and girls will come to me and be like, I never thought I could be a scientist. So I read your book. And I'm just like, oh, like, that's why I write. When you talk about the why, wow. like, that's the why of the why. Um, mm -hmm. That is like my fingerprint, you know, on the heart of girls is that just makes me like sing in my heart. So that that's kind of what I write for. Heck yes. I think anytime we can cultivate curiosity in young people, that feels mm -hmm. like a win to me, especially for, for young girls who are being given these like subtle messages that they shouldn't show up in places. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit more about the influences on your writing? Like what inspired characters like Penny or Theothesaurus or even like I'm thinking of Grace from, from your Nature of Grace series? Where do these characters come from? Tell us a little bit more about that process for you. It really is like instead of like multiple personalities, I just say I have characters in my head. It's like this really, <laughs> that, that really is just like the difference between being insane and creative maybe. Mm. <laughs> no, I don't know if I just say that. <laughs> they, they just, they come to me. They're just in my head. They're just voices in my head. And I'm not, you know, I have stories behind every idea. And so it's just something that has inspired me. It's usually my kids or something. Cece is in me. You know what I'm saying? Like the unicorn is in me. Grace is a piece of me. Like there are, those are people, which is why it's so hard when you don't sell because you're like, oh, how dare you not like a piece? Of me? Like that's part of me that you're rejecting. That's not just a book. Um, and I think you have to kind of separate that. But I do think you have those voices inside of you that, that have stories to tell. And speaking of like multifacetedness, uh, I saw on your website that you have the tagline author by day, sleuth by night. Tell yeah. me a little bit about that philosophy and how that how that goes into your writing style. I am obsessed with like true crime mystery, always have been like have always been investigative and crime. And like I mean, before I go to bed, I watch forensic files. And so I've always been that. um mystery person. And I, over COVID, I got a certification as a PI because it was, Whoa, what? <laughs> it was like not licensed. I'm certified, but it was a certification so, process. That, 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 that was like 60 hour. It was like 60 or like 90 hours of work that you had to do. And you had to kind of learn about the investigative process and there was nothing else to do over COVID. So, um, I did that. And so I love like, picking puzzles apart and trying to figure out what's wrong. I love like, you know, trying to figure out what happened to a missing person, what figure. So that is that dark side of me. That is like the mystery thriller side that just wants to like pick apart the darkness. And then there's just like this light little side. That's like, we're going to write picture books. And so balancing those is quite difficult. Um, but I do love like that. So I'm obsessed with sleuths. So I think, I'm a sleuth. I, I do want to ask about one of your characters in particular. Okay. They're, they're not maybe, you know, uh, part of the nitty gritty world, but you're unicorn. Yes. Glitter poop. Tell us all about glitter poop. I love glitter poop. So I will say after covering all of my baby's ears, that <laughs> if there is one book that is closest to my heart, it is shine like a unicorn. Um, this book came about. Um, and I always get choked up when I talk about the story. So just ignore me because yeah. I do what I'm supposed to. Uh, yes. So my son was bullied in middle school. And there was a long period of time where uh, 
and that we were you know trying to work through where someone was bullying him and he was coming home every day off the bus and crying and being upset and we would have conversations at dinner and I would say you know sometimes you know people are in herds of horses and the unicorns you know they don't like the unicorns but you know what be a unicorn and a herd of horse and so our kind of big thing was shine like a unicorn be a unicorn and a herd of horses like no one wants to go if there's a herd of horses over here and there's a unicorn over here like where are we all going like oh. the unicorn I'm going the unicorn We've seen the herd of horses and most of them look the same. If it's a herd, they're probably mostly the same. So that was kind of our big thing. So I started thinking like times when I was upset, you know, he would go to bed and we would be up talking at night and you're upset, your your heart's hurting and you think your kid's wonderful and you don't understand why other people don't feel that way. And you, and he's different and he's quirky and he's fun. And I love that. And it's hard mm-hmm. to you know, when your child is in that middle school age and they're trying to conform and they want to fit in as a parent, do you encourage them to fit in so they don't hurt? Or do you encourage them to stand out and and be vulnerable? You were encouraging him to be vulnerable. Like you, you do you. That In fact, that is the main message of this book at the end. they It's you do you. Um, so I tried to think, you know, how could I make a fun story to have that message, but not be like, look, we all need to be ourselves. And, you know, and so I just got this image, which is probably a personality again, of this funny unicorn, just thinking he was just the bomb and just was convinced that he could teach people how to stand out in a crowd and just how to be the most different you could be, the most special um, and, and help other people, let other people be as special. And I just kind of got this fun, quirky voice and glitter poop, like kids love poop and it's just (laughs) funny. And it just was kind of weird. And like, you know, instead of having, you know, instead of having like glitter tail or, you know, glitter horn, what I just was like, I'm just going to do poop, you know, like just, it'll be funny. So this book is about the nine steps on how you can learn how to stand out in a crowd. Oh, I I love it. Can you share any of those steps with us? Yeah. I mean, step one is you need a unicorn name. I mean, that's like obvious. Of course. Oh, okay. What's, wow. what's your what's your unicorn name? My unicorn name is um, Sassy Sparkle Pants. Sassy Sparkle Pants. That's good. That's yeah. great. Sassy Sparkle Pants. Um, so the first. So, yeah, it's the first one is choose a unicorn name. Unicorns have love to have crazy names, pick a fun word and add a silly adjective. Prancing sparkles and happy sunshine are popular. Lucky charm is so on trend. My name is glitter poop. I know it's different, but that's the point. I love it. And then the, the illustrator is Maddie Frost. And she is what made this book, honestly, like she's adorable. Her characters are adorable. Everybody's different. And so it just goes through different steps, like love yourself, be flossom, like, mm-hmm. um, and that's actually one of my favorite pages is the flossom one is um, it's love yourself. Unicorns know we're not perfect and that's okay. Even we have crazy hair days. Sometimes we have upside down days where nothing looks right. Other times we question ourselves. Is my horn too short? Is my tail too long? Is my rump too glittery? Because I can't tell. But then we remember imperfections make us flossom. So um, awesome. Flossom, I know. And that was on a t-shirt that I just happened to see like in a store But at the end, I have the kids in school. They stand up and like make their own little unicorn horn and they all have to scream like you do you. And 
um, and they get like a little certificate, like congratulations, you are now a unicorn. So go be proud, like be loud, be proud. <laughs> that one is one of my favorite. I love, I think that's such an amazing universal message. I mean, I feel like I need a copy now to, to <laughs> you know, remind myself in those hard moments. And it's funny and silly and, um, you know, but I do think that, you know, when I go to schools, kids will come up with their unicorn names and we'll go around and say, what's the one thing that makes you different, that makes you stand out mm. like glitter poop, you know, and, and they'll always have something interesting to say. Um, there's always one, you know, that out of the crowd that'll come up with something really wacky. And you're like, wow, that is different. They're living the unicorn philosophy. <laughs> you're like, yes. Oh my gosh. That's so, amazing. I'm glad you picked out that uh. one too. <laughs> to ask about because that is one of my favorites because I usually get asked about the love science series or the stem books because the stem books are are all great and all important um but that one is my special one how do you feel that your penchant for sleuthing and storytelling helps support that work I think it's just being curious I don't know if it's a sleuth as much as it's just being curious and when I have when I get a question about something like I have to answer it um I have, you know, some neurodiversity issues that I juggle with. That, so once I kind of get stuck on something, I have to find the answer. I will solve this, even if it doesn't really need to be solved. <laughs> like, you know, it like no one cares. It really doesn't matter. But I will get the answer um, that I need to get. So I think <laughs> it, it's more around that. Yeah, I, I think what I get I, into my books and and all that. You know, why why are there what happened at the end of the fairy tale with the, the fourth little pig? Like what happened at the end of that story? Like, yeah, where did they go and why, like who saved them? And then that's kind of where I came up with, you know, Penny, the girl engineer who comes to save them. So it's just little things like that, where I just get these questions that in the scale of things probably may not matter, but to me, it matters like so heavily in that moment that I have to kind of clear it up for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's super interesting. We have not really mentioned creativity by name. Instead, we keep talking about curiosity, which I think mm. is deeply fascinating. Like mm -hmm. you have not, I mean, I don't think we have either really brought up creativity as a driving force for you. It really sounds to me like curiosity and creativity almost go hand in hand in your process. Would you say I that mean, that's true? Yeah. I mean, for me, they do as a writer, I, I can't speak for artists, you know, but I mean, um, I mean, for me, I'm curious about things and I'll hear certain things um, and I will just kind of dive into it. So I don't know if for me it's, cre I mean, it is creative, um, but for me, it's more about like what, what happened, like kind of getting to the bottom of it. And if I can't find the answer, like I just kind of create the answer. So mm -hmm. like, no, we don't know what happened to the, the three little pigs. I'm just going to create an ending myself <laughs> so that I can let it go. <laughs> it's more about, I mean, I am creating, but I don't sit down and go, I'm going to be creative now. It's more about like, what am I thinking about? Like, what do I want to know about? So it's more around that. So yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I think creativity, there is a curiosity to it, whether it's painting or, you know, drawing or um, singing, you know, writing songs. I mean, I think there is, it's telling stories that, that you've pondered, I guess, mm -hmm. in some way. So I would love to know how that sense of creativity factored into one of your projects, which was Florence Nightingale. Mm -hmm. 
which is part of the She Persisted series. Now, yes. it's my understanding that these are all historical figures and these are yep. all true stories. Mm-hmm. How did that process look different than other pursuits where you are making it up out of your head or internally? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's my f- nonfiction chapter book. Um I really manifest, I'm going to pat myself on the back on this one. I really manifest because there was an article and, um, and this is what I can say is like, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Like I really do. Like, I do not care. I shouldn't say I don't care. I am okay. Just with my family. I am okay with rejection and criticism. It doesn't, it does hurt, but like, I would rather be rejected and like get criticism than not do something like that. That's just where, so it's, it's more comfortable for me to get criticism and rejection, which sounds oh. really bad. And that's probably something I need to work on, but no, the, the, oh, wells are better than the what ifs. Yeah. Always. Yeah. So I never want to be the person who's like, mm, sh- I don't like the should, like, maybe I should have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read an article and happened to notice that Chelsea Clinton was expanding her. She persisted picture books into chapter books and mm. noticed that one of the quotes was from an editor that I had worked with over COVID. Um, oh, Jill Santapolo. Yeah. And so I had asked, uh, the Theothesaurus series are with Penguin. So I had gone to my agent at the time and said, I read this article and I know it sounds weird, but Jill Santapolo, I worked with her on Theothesaurus. She knows me. She knows my work ethic. I wonder if I could pitch myself to do a STEM chapter book. Um, and my agent said, um, you know, they usually, and they do, they're usually looking for bigger authors like Meg Medina and um, uh, I can't think of anyone else at the at, at this moment, but, um, and so she, and I said, I know, but like, she knows me and maybe with STEM, maybe they don't have an author. And she's like, I'll pitch you. We'll see what happens. Like, let's, let's pitch you. So she pitched me and I didn't hear anything for like six weeks. And she just was kind of like, Hey, Shelly noticed that you were doing chapter books. Um, you know, if you ever decide to do a STEM topic, you know, she's got the STEM series under her belt. She would love to help out. So about six weeks later, we just got this email out of the blue from Jill who said, hey, you know what? Got your message. Sorry, I didn't respond. And, you know, we've been thinking about it. We were, it came at the perfect time. We were just thinking about, you know, doing something around Florence Nightingale, who's STEM and, you know, kind of the founder of nursing in a way, um, just for the UK, and she mm. said, Michelle, would be interested in writing about Florence Nightingale. And this was right after, um, was this after COVID? I think it was after COVID or right around COVID. And they were going to be releasing it. So it was right around when all of this was happening with COVID, mm. getting ready to happen. So that was, I mean, I just got lucky. I mean, it was just, again, it's that serendipitous moment that just kind of like, ding, you know, just comes together. So it was a lot of research. Um, and it was fun. I mean, it was again, curiosity, like Florence Nightingale. Yeah. I heard about Florence Nightingale when I was in school. I think I may have dressed up for her, like as her, you know, like at a history project or something. What I loved about it is it wasn't necessarily about Florence Nightingale, the hero. Mm-hmm. It was about Florence Nightingale when she was little and it oh. the chapter book goes through that. You, you get to the part where she is helping the soldiers and she's creating the rose diagram with statistics and she lowers the death rate, um, you know, 60%. Like the, you, that, that is the part that everybody knows, but what they don't yeah. know is that when she was six, she used to collect shells and classify them. And she loved math and science. And at the time that she was 
young, girls did not go to school. She was a wealthy girl, came from a wealthy family, and her father wanted them to be educated and taught them on his own. And she loved science and math. And her mom wanted her to get married at 16, but she wanted to be a nurse. And so what I love about that is that heroes, like they weren't born heroes, you know, they were born kids. And so the story, like when I talk to kids at school, I'm like, you could be a hero. Like you just have to follow what your passion is and you can be a hero. Florence Nightingale wasn't, didn't come out as a hero. Hmm. She came out as someone who loved math and science and pushed back against the norms, went against her mother, did never married actually during that time. And at that time, nurses were very, did not have great reputations. Um, they were very low class. They were usually drinking. Some of them were prostitutes. I mean, it wasn't a very, and so her family was like, you're going to be what? Like, no, like we're too wealthy for that. <laughs> and she was like, sorry, that's what I want to be. So I love that that series focuses on who the kids are and what they, and how they become a hero as opposed to, you know, we see superheroes and, and we know who they are, but we don't see the everyday heroes, but who they were when they were six. Right. And Most of us are bit that. by a spider. <laughs> yeah. 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 Into something. yeah. And I loved that. You know, it'd been much more interesting if Peter Parker loved, you know, like <laughs> loved spiders and was like studying spiders, like when he was, you know, and, and just happened to get pulled in. But I love that that's what that series does. And so I was curious, who was she and how did she get to be this person who, you know, got British medals and made a difference in the entire British health system and was a woman on the field, you know, on the battlefields where, when doctors did not want to any women there and, yeah. and against all those norms. So I was lucky to write that book. What a cool way to still like, I don't know, amplify Gamma Phi Beta's aims of building strong girls. I just see that, I mean, throughout all of your books to like build, build these young girls up and, and to, to become the people that they're meant to be. I think that that's just so inspiring. And even for boys, like, you know, boys, like you don't have to be like, you can be who you need to be. You don't have to be, yeah. not that it's bad, but you don't have to fall into the norm. You don't have to just be the sport kid. You don't have to just For be sure. the sport kid. You don't have to you be- You can be glitter poop. Yes. Be glitter poop. <laughs> you can be the science kid. You can be like, you can be like, you know, step away from the norms and like, just do you, you know, like that's what, and, and if you do you, you can be a hero. Like if you do you, you can make a difference. And that is kind of what I try to talk to all the kids about is- like accept yourself, accept the people around you. And if you do that, like you will be who you're supposed to be. Um, and you can find who you're supposed to be and you'll find your passion. If you don't do that, then you may lose your, I mean, I don't say that, but I mean, you, you could lose yourself. You may go down the wrong path and you may not ever realize what you could have done because you were doing what you should have done. So, yeah. I mean, that, that kind of is, a message, I think for all kids, I mean, I think for girls, it does stand out because, you know, they're not encouraged to do that, but I don't think boys are encouraged to do that either. That's a great point. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I want them to be encouraged. If you're a boy and you love to draw, you know, graphic novels and you don't want to play football, don't like do mm -hmm. draw graphic novels or do both. Yeah. Um, 
but find what's in your heart and just go for it. Don't do something because people, you know, because that's what you're supposed to be doing. And I think that, I think that's a boy and a girl thing. I think we yeah, all are beyond, pushed, yeah, all, all, all children into norms. And I don't think either side likes them. I just think that right now, you know, we've got the girl power thing going on and like, Hey, we can, we can do anything you can do. But I think there's a lot of boys that are like, do it. Like I actually want to do something else. Yes. Yeah. You know? yeah. No, young, young people need that. Yeah. This almost feels like it, mentioning full circle at the beginning. We're coming like full circle talking about like the shoulds, right? And I don't know, Shelly, if you view your work this way, but to me, it almost sounds like the work that you're doing is also speaking to younger Shelly of like, maybe these are messages that you also wish that you would have gotten as a kid. So that way, maybe you didn't go the estate planning route mm-hmm. or the marketing route and writing yeah. was maybe sooner on that path. That's sort of what I'm I'm feeling <laughs> yeah. is like this, this message to kids of like, you don't have to sh- hold all of these adults shoulds like they're not for you they're Mm -hmm. doing it to keep you safe and we get why they're there but it doesn't have to be the path that you're going down and we've all had those messages given to us when we're younger you know um so yeah I think so I mean I think all the books I write are for my younger Shelly like if I love them and they don't sell I know that I wrote it like for like you know what I'm saying? I love it. Mm, yes. Even my books that are sitting in the in the, my little graveyard, like I love them and I think they're great stories and I needed that story. Maybe it didn't make it out into the world, but it, it healed something in me for whatever it is. Oh, oh yes. Shelly, I just want to like bottle that up because yes. I feel like that's sort of the answer to the question I asked earlier of like, how do you know that something is good? And I think what you've just said of like, would my younger self enjoy this? Who is this for? Like, did it serve a need for me in the yeah. moment? And then maybe that's how you know that it is good. Yeah. And I think you have to kind of get away from the business of like getting published, getting Mm -hmm. a deal, getting a contract, getting like, we all want our stories out there, but there's always a core purpose to those stories, whether it's Theo Thesaurus, Mm -hmm. feeling left out and being different because he speaks a totally different language than the other dinosaurs, whether it's, whether it's, you know, unicorn who is trying to be different and like celebrates his differences. I think they're all, they all kind of heal something in me. And if they do that and I'm proud of it, it doesn't, it does matter, but like, I just move on to the next story. So I've, I've gotten okay with like letting go and letting it, you know, they all have different purposes. And maybe that was just a purpose that I need something I needed to, to work through. Yeah, I love, I love all my books to sell and sell big and be on the bestseller list. Of course, like that's all of our dreams. <laughs> As we're wrapping up, I do want to go back to little Shelly. I have one more question for you. Speaking of little Shelly, what's your first memory of a book or a children's book? Like what's the first children's book that's stuck with you ever since you were little? Um, I know my favorite children's book of all time um, is Pippi Longstocking. Oh, so I, she was super sassy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she had a horse, she had a monkey, she lived by <laughs> herself. So I loved Pippi Longstocking. I mean, she was my favorite character when I was younger. Um, I don't know if that was my first book, but I do remember, like, that's, that's the book that I love that I always talk about. 
is different. She stood out. I mean, that was a time where girls weren't supposed to kind of be on their own and leading their own life and living in their own house. And yes, that probably wasn't the best thing for a 10 year old. But I loved that independence and that sassiness and that confidence. Like, I just thought she was super confident and stuck, you know, stood up to people and she, you know, you do you, she did, she did her right. Like she Mm -hmm. did herself and she didn't care who else like tried to stop her. You can't live alone. You can't have a horse. You can't have a monkey. Um, and she did it. So I think that thread, I think plays into my writing now, like be unique, do yourself. Don't let people tell you what to do, like find your own space. And I, I really do feel like Pippi was that first. Oh, first. Well, I, I think that Pippi would be very proud of you. Uh-huh. I think that Glitter Poop is Pippi. proud of you. The Thesaurus, like Thank all you of your know. creations, I think are so proud of you. And I know that we as a sisterhood and, you know, a community of Gamma Phi Beta, we're so proud. And I'm just uh-huh. so honored that you took time out of your busy schedule to to chat with us. I just, I, I so appreciated everything I learned from you today. And oh, thank yeah. you for having me. I was so happy <laughs> when you guys reached out. It was, it was an honor. Yes. Oh. Well, okay. Before we officially, officially say adieu, Shelly, we have some rapid fire questions for you that we ask oh, all okay. of our guests that come up, that, that join us on True and Constant. So Lex, should we, yeah. should we, should we have at it? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Um, so first question is what gamify value resonates the most with you? Love, labor, learning, or loyalty? Ooh, I'm, I would say loyalty. Learning's up there, but I think I'm, I'm extremely loyal and, um, yeah, that, that's a big one for me. Nice. What's something that has brought you joy this week? This week, um, going to UGA, like, that's interesting. Like (laughs) it it was so fun going there and, and we were in a, a huge room with tons of people and they were like, raise your hand if you're alumni. And I was thinking everyone was going to raise their hand because I assumed just everyone there. And and so I raised my hand. They were like, we have one in the front and you get a button. And I was like, yes. I mean, (laughs) I said that out loud. My son was just like, don't do that. (laughs) I was so proud to like be that one person in the room. And it just made me so happy. I wore that pin all day on that tour. Um, And it was just neat to do that full circle and see, I mean, I've been back, but just to see how the school had changed and to see that process through my son's eyes um, yeah, and just it. remembering that the first time I saw it. So that, that yeah. is my big one this week. I love cool. that. Right on. Uh, what is something new that you've learned? Ooh, um, I did learn how to pick locks recently. Oh, okay. <laughs> we have to talk about <laughs> I know Nancy Drew is in your future. Yeah, I love Nancy Drew. Yeah, Nancy Drew would be my second. I I was thinking in my head, is it Pippi or Nancy? But Pippi was. (laughs) um, Yeah. So my husband bought me this picking lock set um, for my birthday, and of course, I spent hours like learning how to pick that lock. So that was exciting. What's something you would tell your college self? Hmm. Not to do risk management. (laughs) (laughs) I would have told myself to go into, I I think I still would have ended up in communications. Mm. Maybe it was journalism. Marketing is still communications and copywriting and writing. So I think I would have encouraged myself to go more into the communications and writing route than risk management and annuities. Though it does help me in my financial planning. (laughs) Right. Yes. I think (laughs) I I still use it. It's just, I don't, that's not what I do every day. 
Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know what? It wasn't, it didn't go to waste. We'll say that. From risk manager to <laughs> I mean, it's basically what's happened to me. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's a career I, I just want to live in. That's I'm great. i change the tagline on my website. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. We've just got two questions left. Um, what was the moment that you chose Gamma Phi? That was, yeah, that was the moment um, when it was, do I, do I, just quit because mm-hmm. I didn't get what was comfortable, what I thought I was going to get, what I, who I thought I was going to be, mm-hmm. where I really like, and do I try something new? Do I step out of my box? And, you know, my mom encouraged me. She was like, just go and see who you meet, you know, and just go that yeah. first day, go that pledge day and see what happens. And I mean, within seconds, I met Beth and Catherine. And so and we've been thick of thieves for a lack of a better term. Um, not that they pick locks, but we've been thinking. <laughs> you need a getaway driver and you yes. also need, you know, like there's other of elements course. to the game. There's a, yeah, there's a lot to the operation. But I, it's that moment of just having faith that you're going where you're supposed to go, or are you just going to be mad that you're not where you thought you'd be? Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of like, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to try it because I, I loved that process. Um, and I loved Gamma Phi Beta. I just thought that I was going to be with everybody from high school. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And no one from my high school is in Gamma Phi Beta. Like I was, you know, so it was, I was new to everybody. There was nothing comfortable there except for just the feeling of belonging. Um, but but not knowing anyone. I love it. Yeah, that's, I mean, great life lesson. Yeah. Um, and then we have one more for you. If you could nominate any person in the world for membership to Gamma Phi Beta, mm-hmm. who would it be? Um, I'm going to say Beatrice Potter. Oh. Because she was not just a writer. She was a scientist and a botanist. And a lot of people don't know that about her. And her findings were stolen by the professor or male scientist she was working with. And I don't think she got credit, but, <sighs> she, but she did the writing, but she had that science botany, um, you know, piece. And I think she wasn't recognized. I, I think she loved her writing and her drawings of botany, but I don't think she was recognized for what she really loved, which was science. And so I would love to see, I think that she would be cool. Absolutely. I, I love, love it. Great answers. Those yeah. are some good ones. Hi listeners. I'm Jessica Budjanowski and welcome to our True Connection segment. It's your source for Gamma Phi Beta information, special stories of our sisterhood and tools to get you involved. Today, you heard from Shelly Johannes. She shared her personal passion for empowering youth, and that ties directly to Building Strong Girls, our Gamma Phi Beta philanthropic focus. Now, Gamma Phi Beta knows today's girls are facing more challenges than ever, and that's making the need for a safe place with supportive mentors even greater. Girls need women in their lives who can help them develop the skills to succeed in life. And we are committed to improving the lives of young girls by not only building strong girls, but we're building stronger communities through them. 
As a partner of Girls on the Run International, our membership is encouraged to actively live our philanthropic focus of building strong girls. And you can do that through hands-on service and charitable giving. There are several ways for you to serve as a role model to girls in your community. That could look like mentoring, coaching, and even fundraising. Through our partnership, Gamma Phi Betas have raised over $4 million, and we've supported over 1.6 million girls. Alumni and collegians alike can engage with their local Girls on the Run Council and make a positive difference in their own community. To help the Building Strong Girls movement, we want to hear your story. So how have you been impacted? Or maybe how have you made an impact? Share your story at gammaphibeta.org forward slash BSG story. And with that, I'm Jessica Budjanowski. Let's keep connected until next time. True and Constant is brought to you by Gamma Phi Beta Sorority. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving a gift to the 150th by going to gammaphibeta.org slash 150 slash podcast. Special thanks to our co-hosts, M.O. Remus and Lex Stewart. Jessica Budjanowski for the True Connection segment. Our editor, John Haight, and executive producers, Megan Kruger and Shauna Wilson. Our theme music, Panko Breaded Pork Chops, written by Michael Thomas Geiger, performed and produced by Mikey Geiger. Thank you for listening. <laughs>